Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. I am your host, Jay Madison, or at least I think I am. Nobody's told me any different today. We'll find out. I'm sure my guest today will let me know who I am. And uh, we have a really great interview. We're going to have Steve Winkler. He is the owner of Lucky 7 Livestock Company. Uh, right up in Rodman, New York. We're going to be talking to him about the beef industry and what's going on out there with beef across the nation. But before we get to that, we got a really big announcement that I want to share with everybody. We have a grant program available here in Jefferson County. Sorry if you're not in Jefferson County. That's the way it works. We do ag economic development unlike any other place in the nation. We have a grant program that we have just released. Uh, We're accepting applications now. It is called the Jefferson County Local Foods Resiliency Grant. It is a program of Jefferson County Economic Development and Cornell Cooperative Extension of Jefferson County with very special thanks to the Jefferson County Board of Legislators. What's happened, folks, is the Jefferson County Board of Legislators has received American Recovery Program funds. And the Board of Legislators is very dedicated to supporting agriculture. So they allocated $400,000 of the funds that they've sent over here to Jefferson County Economic Development for our economic development purposes. They've allocated $400,000 to be used to support local foods during the pandemic We saw what happened to our food industry, food availability in the supermarkets and so on. And the way to help mitigate some of that for the future is to make sure that we're doing everything we can to grow our local food supply. So what we're doing right now is we're offering a grant program to local food producers to help them increase local food production. What it is, we're going to allow uh, people to apply for three different areas, three different sectors of agriculture. One is meat production, uh, meat processing, I should say. So our local meat processors here in Jefferson County can apply for up to $50,000, and that money can be used to grow their operation. If they want to expand into USDA meat processing, they could apply for that if they want to increase their capacity to support our local farm production, to support our local meat production, they could apply. So that's one sector, and they can apply again up to $50,000. The second sector that we have available is for on-farm dairy production, uh, on-farm dairy processing, I should say. So if a farm is uh, taking some of their milk and making cheese curd or bottling it for uh, fluid milk sales or cheese production or gelato, whatever it might be, as long as it's on-farm production uh, of dairy products, you can apply for up to $50,000 in that sector as well. So that's on-farm dairy processing. 
The third sector is more of a catch-all for any other local food production where you are uh, going to process your crops or you make a product such as, uh, let's say, uh, pasta sauce. If you want to apply to the other local foods section, you can apply for up to $10,000 to increase your processing capacity. Now, it's not available for production agriculture. It's not available to help you plant another crop or to um, put in a uh, watering system for your livestock. It's not about that. It has to be for food processing. So you can apply in that other local food section for up to $10,000 to to do that other local food processing. So three different sectors, meat processing, on-farm dairy processing, and then other local food processing. Three different sectors, total of $400,000 available. And that grant is now, you can apply for that grant now. You can go to www.agricultureevents.com. That's agricultureevents.com. There's an online application. It's really easy to fill out. You can fill out that application, hit submit. It comes right to my email. I'll see it pop in. Now, I can guarantee you when you apply, you will get a visit from me and from somebody from Cornell Cooperative Extension. Every applicant will receive a visit because we will be part of the evaluation process of that application. There's no match requirement. You don't have to uh, put up $50,000 to receive $50,000. However, if you are putting up some of your own money into the project, that will score better in the end. So even though it's not a requirement, the more you put into the project of your own funds, the better your application will be evaluated. The other thing is, is you'll need to do this. Let's see, the deadline uh, to apply is April 15th, 2022, April 15th, 2022 by 4 p.m. So very important. Make sure you get your applications in by April 15th at 4 p.m. Now, again, this application is available online at www.agricultureevents.com. If you have any questions, you can give me a call, Jay Madison, at 315-782-5865. That's 315-782-5865. Or give Mike Knuckles a call over at Cornell Cooperative Extension at 315-788-8450, 788-8450. So that is the grant program. We've just opened it up. If you fall within any of those categories and you have a project, you know, certainly take a look at the application. Give me a call. Give Mike Knuckles a call. We will try to help you through the process and wish you good luck. It is very limited funding. We expect we will get a lot more applications than we have money to fund. Uh, But, you know, put your project in there. The worst that will happen is we'll say no. So uh, make sure you get your application. All right, so that's it about the Local Foods Resiliency Grant Program uh, that just started. Now I want to introduce our guest, Steve Winkler. 
He is an owner with the rest of his family of Lucky 7 Livestock Company in Rodman, New York. Great operation up there. I love visiting, and it is great to have you at the uh, microphone. You are the first person in the studio at the moment. So I've got Danny Baker coming too, but you beat her in here. So you can bust on Danny for uh, being the first person through the door, Steve. How you doing, sir? Very well. Thank you, Jay, and really appreciate the new format and the direction you're going in with a podcast is very convenient, and I think it's going to be very successful. Well, you had been a guest many times of the Homegrown Show over the years, and so you like this format a little bit better. Yeah, I'm um, a bit of a veteran. I think when I look back, somewhere around 2003, 2004, we started with you. Yeah. Uh, or I first was interviewed at the Homegrown Show, and uh, certainly I, I love the loyalty that to Jefferson County Economic Development shows agriculture and the Board of Legislature, so anything I can do to show that support uh, is returned. Well, uh, very appreciated, very appreciated. Tell us a little bit about Lucky 7 Livestock Company. What is that? What's it all about? Yeah, so we're a, a small family farm in southern Jefferson County in the town of Rodman, which we're, we're very proud of. It's a great farming community, uh, a great people community. We're a very close uh, knit community. My wife, Lisa, uh, and my youngest son, Peter, um, are involved on the farm. Um, we could have called it many, many different things, but uh, Lucky Seven as uh, the seven family members. And um, I hate to say luck is involved, but just as it rolled <laughs> off the tongue, <laughs> it we're, we're, we're pretty fortunate to uh, run our own business and our own agribusiness. Um, but I get great support from my wife, Lisa, and my son, Peter. So they need to uh, they need to be mentioned as yeah. well. Now, I just want to bring up, you brought me in this really awesome hat today, which I absolutely Absolutely love, and it's to honor your son. So tell us about your son. So um, yeah, we we run a uh, um, a benefit for my oldest son uh, Benjamin through the uh, North Country f uh, Northern New York Community Foundation. Yes, sir. And um, so every year um, we either have a fundraiser, whether it's uh, cornhole um, or some other type of event. We're going to do a dog walk event eventually. Um, so, yeah, it's, it mentions it's, a, it's an emblem of the farm, the Lucky 7 emblem. And on the back, it's BFW for... Um, it's, it's a great way to honor your son, sir. And uh, anytime you want to come in here and promote those events, you please do that. I'm sorry to put you into a, a little bit, but you brought the hat and it yes, deserves sir. mentioning. No, so No problem. Benjamin was my oldest son and he passed in uh, yep. a few years ago. So. Yeah. Well, it's uh, proud to honor him here on the podcast today, the Rural America podcast. So uh, with the farm, you produce a lot of different things. I've been a customer of the farm twice now, and I'm very happy with the products. Talk about the uh, livestock that you're producing, that you're growing there at the farm. Yeah, so we've always made it a habit um, to do multi-species, whether it's crops or um, livestock. So our main cash receipt is definitely uh, hog production, uh, which we're involved with, uh, with a group. Uh, there's about five of us in the group. Uh, so we, we bring in the small pigs and then finish them out uh, for a number of customers, um, Wegmans, Whole Foods, Mosner Family Brands, uh, Dolan Bailey, which are throughout the Northeast, just really great distributors and quality distributors. We also run a, uh, a beef cow herd, which we're 
slowly increasing into. My son Peter's taking the reins on that. Uh, we do meat goat production to help with the ethnicity. I in the didn't Northeast. know you were doing meat goats. Yes. When yeah. did you start that? Has that um, been a while? Uh, it's been a few years. Peter graduated uh, three years ago from Cobleskill, and he has a passion uh, to do ruminants, to do goats and beef, and what he's doing. And so I invested in a, a small uh, goat flock uh, through, um, through a registered herd of Kiko goats, which is a New Zealand type of meat goat. And Peter's just blossomed and taken this, um, this endeavor and really been successful with it. Uh, we do a small brown egg flock. We do uh, pasture uh, chickens, and um, we also do pasture turkeys, uh, just obviously during the uh, pasture time of the year. So you have a lot of everything. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, I, yes, and, and again, it's it's a passion. It's whether it's uh, my inability to be focused on any one thing, <laughs> um, but I love to see the synergy. I love to see the animals react with the crops we grow. Uh, we're, a, we're a beautiful pasture area with... Uh, native grasses and plenty of water and we try to utilize that we try to you know it starts with the land and then we try to build species around the land now that's that's fantastic and as i said i've been your customer twice now with with hogs and been very very satisfied oh my god folks if you've never had homegrown pork chops before you are really missing out there's nothing better than homegrown pork chops I love them. If all you've ever bought is supermarket pork chops, you don't know what you're missing. But so anyways, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent because we got a lot of important things to talk about. So for you, the audience, especially if, if you this is your first time ever listening to Rural America, uh, Steve is one of my go-to guys. When I have questions about what's going on out there in the livestock industry, besides being really good at farming on his farm he's really good at paying attention to what's happening in the livestock industry pork and beef especially and i i i called in because i want to talk about what is happening with the beef industry i heard a report the other day indicating that we are seeing a shortage of beef across the nation and that it may be years before that is a uh fixes itself. What's going on out there, Steve? Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting dynamic, and all the pieces have really come together. But if you look at the, um, the cattle in general, it's nine months uh, for, an, for a mama cow to have a baby. So that's a fairly significant amount of time. But what it, uh, what's it really came about is um, the drought conditions not only in our country in the West, but also um, in South America, Australia, and New Zealand, which are heavy beef-producing countries throughout the world. Okay. Because of that drought, um, the inability to feed an animal that's 12 to 1,400 pounds, it takes a lot of forage and a lot of feed. Well, we weren't able to put them on pasture. When I say we, those other, my, my beef brothers throughout the world. So what it led to was uh, euthanizing or uh, harvesting cows, the, mo the mamas that have the babies, along with junior cows. So you're, you're, when you harvest, just for the audience, you, when you harvest a cow, you're taking out your production. You're taking out your future production, correct? That's, that's correct. The cow has to have a baby, and then we feed the baby to, 
to create a, a mature animal for the beef market. Because of lack of feed, people downsized their herds, their mama cow herds. Uh, in relation, you're not going to have offspring to meet the demand as we go. Um, so, so that's where it started. And then, of course, with the, uh, the whole pandemic and people eating local slash eating more at home, it, it, it turned this, uh, you know, the, the upward trend the last 20, 25 years for local has been tremendous. But what the pandemic did, uh, it turned into a food shortage. So they, in return, went to their local producer, whether it's myself or somebody in western New York or Pennsylvania. Um, so it's it's been a big windfall for us, but we don't have the animals behind us to keep replenishing the demand for beef. Okay. And then on top of that, I'm hearing about meat processing causing problems, both at the local level and then at the national level. It appears that there's just a a extreme shortage of meat processing facilities. Is that true? It's uh, it's definitely true. So the monster plants that are in the uh, the southwest and and the midwest of our country Obviously, we're in a uh, an employee crunch. Yeah, but it's along all with, over. yes, and along with that, you have some inputs that uh, you couldn't fill the supply, whether it's boxes or bags. So what companies did? They downsized their instead of three shifts, m- many of them went to one shift and occasionally two shifts. But they they were their hands were tied. Uh, but in general, in general, not only for our our local markets particularly in the the six New England states and New York, we're short of processing. But then nationally, um, those shifts got cut, and then farmers decided with a lack of feed, um, lack of production, processing production, they they uh, slowed their herds down or, or shrank their herds. And, and it, you know, my announcement at the beginning of the show with the uh, grant program that we were doing here in Jefferson County, part of it is a direct response to what People like you have been saying to us, we need more uh, meat processing capacity. We can't get our animals through in a reasonable amount of time here at the local level and across the nation. So we're responding by uh, putting this grant program in place to help grow that meat processing capacity. Is that an important thing to do? No doubt. Particularly, you know, you have a the largest population or consumable population in our country. If you take the six New England states and New York, and if you can't address because uh, lack of infrastructure, ag infrastructure, in in that great uh, purchasing market such as the Northeast, um, something has to be done. And thank goodness here locally, uh, people have been addressing that. We're hoping that um, the state addresses us and supports us. But if you just look at Jefferson County and the support agriculture has, it's very few regions that can uh, point in that direction. So we're really blessed to have uh, that kind of support at, at a multi-level here in Jefferson County. In County. So recently I heard the President of the United States talk about what he feels the problems are with the meat industry. And he was pointing a finger at the, the big four companies, the JBSs, Cargills, and so on, saying that they're profiteering and that's the problem with the meat supply. Is that an accurate statement? 100% of his statement is not accurate, but there are portions in, in what he says. And yeah, um, you take a small to a medium-sized uh, farm like ourselves, 
we'd like an alternative over the JBSs and the Cargills. It's just better for this country. To be more diverse, they have more options. In the, exactly. And that and that's where we've built our business for 20, my, my personal family business, to be diversified. But if we don't have the local demand like we had, and I have to rely on Cargill or JBS or uh, uh, Tyson, it, they tell us we become price takers and ranchers and, and beef producers and hog producers. We like to set our market. We don't want to be a price taker. It's never when you're told what you're going to be paid and what it's no matter what your costs are, it puts you in an uncomfortable position. Yeah. So Steve, as, as we look out across the landscape here and we're, you know, I'm seeing food shortages in the supermarkets, not to the degree that we saw during the height of the pandemic, but there are disruptions in the food supply. What are some things that you think uh, we should do at the local level, uh, the state level, and the national level? And I'm putting you on the spot to to cover all three categories, but I know you're capable of uh, sharing your opinion with us. Well, <laughs> locally... It's, it would be a, an economic windfall at multiple levels, at the consumer level, at the retail level, and at the farm level, if we had a plant of size. And what that means, a plant of size, something that we could, uh, the animals that we have between uh, um, the New England states and Canada and northern New York that passed down 81, if we could keep some of those home to the level of 25 to 50 a day, which isn't a, a big number, but that 25 to 50 a day would would certainly multiply to hundreds a day if we had something at this level. Is it, and I'm going to interrupt you, is it possible to operate a plant like that profitably? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I didn't expect expect that quick an answer. I No, I believe it is um, because we see a groundswell or at least people looking into that market uh, today. Is it, was it, would it be easy? Uh, no. There's some inexperience um, in our local market. There's uh, uh, potentially an employee challenge, yeah. uh, at least with being a meat cutter or, or um, somebody that's ha- is diverse in that type of business. But many of us would support it. Instead of uh, watching uh, tr- trucks and trailers go down the road to Pennsylvania and Ohio, we could keep some of that economy home. Yeah. Now, see, I'd like to see, you know, I'd love to attract that kind of uh, operation, that that small, medium-sized operation. Uh, and you know that Jefferson County Economic Development's been working hard to do that. It's been very frustrating, but we've been working at it. I would love to see, if we're not able to attract, I would love to see somebody like Jordan Brandt over in Lewis County or Tyler Ebersaw or Casey Davis uh, here in Jefferson County. I would like to work with them to grow their operations to that point. And, you know, I think that's possible. The challenge is it's going to take time to do that. It's time, money, and a whole lot of effort. But if we can't support that locally, which all three of those gentlemen would be a great example to start with, but even if we had it somewhere in our state, whether it's the Finger Lakes, whether it's Western New York, Rochester, the Southern Tier, we need that infrastructure because we don't have it. We have animal production, but can you imagine having animal production, but then you have to add the extra cost of 30 to $50 a head to ship it somewhere else? Yeah, that's, that's a problem. That's a real problem. And when we have, as you said, there's, there's animals that come out of Canada 
uh, livestock coming out of Canada, they travel right through Watertown, down Interstate 81, down to the, the large meat processing facilities in Pennsylvania. If we had a facility that had the ability to capture some of that moving through and bring that revenue into the area, plus support local farms, that would be huge. And that's that's part of it. The next thing is, once you have that local infrastructure, you could work with the plant, whether it's a customer base, whether it's a real retailer, and then you don't become a price taker. You work together, and you, along with the consumer and the processor, build a price structure, and everybody wins in that case. Yeah, yeah. It's But it's an expensive proposition. A, a medium-sized meat processing plant is Probably at this point, given inflation, we're looking at probably $80 million. Wow. Uh, you know the numbers better than I do. I would have never expected to be that high. But, that, yeah, that's a big number. Yeah. I, might be, I might be a little bit high on that, but somewhere in that 50 to $80 million. For a medium-sized plant that processes 100 head a day, that's probably in that price range right now. And that's, that's tough. That's the challenge of a new facility. Certainly. But um, so on the, on the national level, uh, what, what can we do on the national level to address the livestock industry's needs and the meat processing in particular? Um, we we got to get away from this vertical integration of putting all our eggs in the basket of uh, four conglomerates. And again, I'm a capitalist. I support every business in this country and take my hat off to them. But when you um, shuffle the basket and you put all your eggs um, with a select few, it becomes a danger zone. You were told what you're going to get paid. You're told what's going to be produced. Um, you're told how much is going to be produced. And that never works and hasn't worked in America. We, there's a reason why we have freedom and liberty because we want uh, we the people want to make those decisions. So, I, again, I, I support the four big uh, protein processors in this country, but also support the medium and small yeah, ones. Yeah, we need to diversify that just for safety, safety of our food supply. Yes. Not as far as the quality of the food supply, but the ability to maintain a supply of food. Uh, even in emergency situations, we need to diversify away from just the big four. Agreed. Totally agree. All right, I'm going to throw, uh, uh, as we start to ramp up the show, I'm going to throw you a little angle here. Do you, you like seafood? Do you, do you I love seafood. Oh, do you? I try to eat it once a week. Really? Okay. So I'm going to throw a little something at you that I, uh, I heard recently that really... I try to do this anyways, but now I'm really going to watch carefully. Uh, when you go to the supermarket and, and you go to the seafood uh, case and you see all the fillets and all of that stuff there, do you ever look at the label that shows where the country's, uh, what the country of origin? If I'm in the retailer, but usually when my wife goes to the store, and I, but I always look at country of origin or where it's from, particularly interested in the shrimp and the, and the scallops. <laughs> yeah, I, I love shrimp and scallops. Absolutely. Well, I always look at the country of origin because if it's not wild caught U.S. or a country such as Iceland or 
a country that I can trust, for example, Southeast Asia, I don't forget eat. it. Nope, nope, nope. I especially if it says farm raised, no way am I eating that. <laughs> so you know, I always like to buy the wild caught and the you know the countries that I know. I always check. Well, this one thing really has has got me checking, and that's that Russia for the last seven years has banned any uh, seafood caught in the U.S. From going into Russia, they're not taking any of our exports, even though they're they're supposed to. The United States is still allowing seafood to come in from Russia, but they're not allowing any American U.S. Uh, seafood products to go into Russia. They've banned it completely for seven years. So, given the current tensions, especially right now with Russia. When I go to the supermarket to buy seafood, guess what I'm not buying? Russian seafood. Russian seafood. Not that I will anyways, but now I'm really checking those labels and making sure that my seafood is coming from the U.S., Canada, Iceland, those few countries that I feel very comfortable with. and Definitely not Southeast Asia either as far as seafood imports. Nope, 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 nope. How about a different spin? Here in the seafood discussion, you're concerned about farm-raised, but your hogs and your beef and your chicken, you want farm-raised. U.S. farm-raised seafood, I will eat. But, you know, there are certain countries where they have farm-raised seafood that I will not touch. Yeah, and and I could see the safety aspects, uh, the contamination from different pesticides and chemicals. You, you've got something. We have yeah. the safest, most plentiful food system in the world. A- absolutely. We need to support it. Yeah, and, that, and you're exactly right. I feel very safe eating farm-raised seafood from the United States, Canada, you know, either country. Yep, I will. But other countries where their, their farming standards are nowhere near like ours, no way, no how am I eating it. Nope, not happening. Nope. So anyways, uh, I just wanted to throw that because I heard that and I, I s- said, I'm going to talk about that on our, our podcast today. So I'm glad, glad you eat seafood because otherwise conversation would have died right there. <laughs> you know, that whole region, that, um, that Eastern European block and the Black Sea region, um, you would think Russia would be as diverse and, and, uh, and healthy as they are. But they're they're not. It's a it's a it's a vast country with small amounts of production, and they're in a, they're in a desperate point right now. They are. They're unfortunately they they have become a country of thugs. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's really the leadership of Russia is a country of thugs, and they're a gas station. Yes. Um, their big thing is you know fuel exports, and that's how they're surviving. And it, you know, they have the ability to be more competitive in the agricultural commodity markets and so on, but they're just, for whatever reason, they're not there. And they're threatening Ukraine, who is one of the largest exporter of high-quality agricultural commodities, such as corn, soybeans, and so on. Ukraine's one of the breadbaskets of, uh, of Europe. Of Europe. And... <laughs> It, you know, it's it's unfortunate what's going on right now, but not much we can do 
about that sitting here at the desk at the moment, other than talk about it. Right. <laughs> so we're good at that. Hey, um, we got to wrap up the show, but let's go back to Lucky Seven Livestock Company. If somebody's interested in finding out more, because you said your products are in Wegmans and Whole Foods and so right. on, just real quickly tell us a little bit about that and then how to get in touch with you. So you can always email me at Lucky Seven L U C K I the number seven at Lucky7Livestock.com. That's my personal email. Um, if you're interested in whether it's pork, beef, chicken, uh, local brown eggs, and um, we can talk about a multitude of things. You can also call me on my personal cell phone, 315-767-6809. We have uh, slaughter spots and carcasses available uh, weekly. Um, we do uh, uh, an on-order uh, grocery business uh, for, for meat, so such as you text me or call me or email me. I put a box together and I can deliver. More times than not, I'd like you to come to the farm and talk to you and meet you, but I can. Would you ship that out to somebody? It, we, we can. It's very expensive. I okay. could put a hundred dollar box together for proteins and then it's $80 to ship it. So, oh, wow. you know, depending on where you're going, but I've got a nice local um, following in Watertown, uh, Carthage, General Brown, and of course in the Adams area that we're, we're very proud of. And it just builds a, a really great community relationship. Now that's fantastic. And as, as I said, folks, I am a customer of Steve's. I buy my hogs from Steve's and Steve, and they are just fantastic. I love barbecuing those pork chops. Nothing better. Well, Steve, thank you very much. Very appreciated that you joined us today. And uh, folks, uh, thank you for joining us and hope you come back to check out our future shows right here on Jay Madison's Rural America. Thank you for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America. Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.